from their studio in the Feeding Arizona building in Youngtown, Arizona, it's the Boomer and the Babe Show with Pete Peters and Deborah Brown. Join Pete and Deborah and their guests as they give voice to 78 million baby boomers from coast to coast and border to border. Now here are the Boomer and the Babe, Pete Peters and Deborah Brown. And good morning on the West Coast, good afternoon in the East Coast. This is Arizona talking, and uh, the Boomer the Babe Show is being brought to you from Arizona, Sun City, Arizona to be exact, where it's 11 o'clock, and uh, we're the only ones, well, maybe not the only ones, but one of the few around the country that doesn't change our clocks when everybody else does. I guess that could be a comment in and of itself about Arizona. I don't know. But nonetheless, we're here, and uh, we're going to be talking for an hour with a gentleman that really knows his way around the medical industry and the medical business and the medical field. Uh, but before we get to him, I want to remind everybody to go to boomerandthebabe.com, take a look at everything else that we do besides this radio show as far as our publishing of e-books and mini-books. We also publish... Uh, an online magazine approximately every four to six weeks. You can get on our mailing list, and we will have that come to your inbox absolutely free. And many of the uh, authors and contributors to that online magazine are also guests on our show and also people that have their own shows on the Boomer the Babe Network. All that having been done, I'm Pete Peters, and Deborah Brown, the babe portion of this twosome, is not here because she is working in that publishing area. She's been taking a lot of time doing that, and she's been growing that aspect of her business, and I'm very grateful to her for that. So, But we will we will be worse for wear without having a babe with us today. So we'll, we'll muddle on without her. And my guest that I want to introduce everybody to is Dr. Kerry Prasant. He's uh, written a book about surviving American medicine. Uh, Dr. Prasant, welcome to the Boomer and the Babe Show. Well, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be with you and talk about some of these really important issues. The full title of your book, Surviving American Medicine, How to Get the Right Doctor, Right Hospital, and Right Treatment with Today's Healthcare. Healthcare is big, and I do want to talk to you about that. Uh, I think it's one of the most pressing things that we have to talk about today with everything else going on. But before we get there, I'd like you to give us, if you don't mind, a, a two-minute movie, if you will, a laser beam style about where you've been, what you've done prior to uh, what your emphasis is now. And, um, you know, probably started out as a very young child. And tell us whatever you'd like to tell us. I was a young child back in the last uh, century. Uh, But uh, here we are in the 21st century in in that course of that journey. Uh, I've, uh, I'm from Buffalo, New York, uh, schooled in Buffalo and also at uh, Columbia University. Uh, then I was uh, a, an assistant professor uh, at uh, Columbia University and then uh, at uh, Washington University in St. Louis. Uh, and now I'm a professor out here at the University of Southern California. Uh, I've been in academic practices at universities. I've done research. Uh, I've also done uh, clinical practice in communities, and I've been uh, fortunate to be the head of uh, uh, some national oncology organizations. My specialty is medical oncology and hematology. Uh, But in that course, we've uh, come across the opportunity uh, to do a lot of healthcare uh, uh, policymaking nationally and have seen changes that are occurring in medicine. And it's really because of all these changes that are occurring and the problems people are facing uh, that 
I wrote the book and uh, want to try to answer the questions that I keep on getting, whether it's at a cocktail party or at uh, uh, social events, uh, whether it's in my practice, uh, whether it's in my family. But these questions are uh, coming again and again, and I thought it would be good if someone had a comprehensive book that would say, if you've got this kind of a problem, here's some tips of what you can do to overcome that problem, and especially today when healthcare is changing so very rapidly. Uh, healthcare is changing very rapidly, and uh, I think it's changing for uh, for all age groups. Uh, however, uh, let me just pose this to you and get your comment. I have an 89-year-old mother who... Uh, has some dementia issues, but nonetheless, she always says, "When I ask her mother, you're not feeling well. Should we go? Should we take you to the doctor? Mother, you're having a weight loss. Should we take you to the doctor?" Uh, she says, "No. Doctors don't know what to do with old people." Um, I'd like to hear your comment with regard to that. Well, I think this is this deals with a couple of issues that are so very, very important uh, that I cover in the book. Uh, first of all, uh, everyone wants to assume that they're well and no one at all wants to go see a doctor. It's one of the scariest that you have and your mom's impression that, oh, they don't know what to do with me, I'm just getting old, uh, is often the case. Uh, a lot of doctors do not give enough attention to old people and have not been trained to specifically take care of geriatric problems. And so it's in situations like that where you have to find a doctor who is really has a comfort level with the patient, is able to relate to the patient, and the patient really appreciates that attention. And sometimes internists and family physicians who have taken additional training or have additional focus on geriatric care are able to do these specialized kinds of testing that's needed to identify problems with cognitive thinking abilities, identify problems with balance, identify problems with, uh, with skeletal uh, problems with weak bones, identify problems with sleeplessness, with uh, appetite maintenance, with depression, and also with loneliness. Um, your mom's 89. Uh, she may have a lot of friends who have passed away. Oh, they all Probably have. Probably a Every lot of... And that, that is the problem. I, I have many patients who say, you know what my problem is, doctor? All my friends have passed away, and I'm lonely. Mm-hmm. And that's a very hard, uh, hard nut to crack, and it's a very challenging one, but there are support groups and there are uh, ways that we can make suggestions to people who are older and uh, their other family members have passed away to get invo- involved with uh, social groups or uh, with other support groups with the same kinds of disease so they can meet some other people of a similar age group who have similar challenges and can have a, uh, a recreation of a social experience that otherwise would be lost to them. So the most important thing is to find a doctor who can make the right suggestions for you and in the book, we have, in fact, the, the very first chapter deals with how to find a doctor. And in your course, per, personally, where you say, boy, what am I going to do with my mom? Uh, we have a whole chapter uh, uh, dealing with caring for the elderly and caring for the infirmed, where we talk about how to deal with some of these chronic issues. So you have a responsibility to, to be able to get the information 
information to your mom's doctor effectively mm-hmm. to help the doctor to make the right decisions with her. Right. And this book tells you exactly what kinds of questions to ask, what, how, you, how you relate to the doctor, how you communicate well with them, and what kinds of responses you should expect from them. Right. And we also talk about how to evaluate the doctor because, you know, people say, well, gee, I just don't know if I trust this doctor or if I don't. So uh, there's, a, uh, there's a chapter on how do you evaluate your doctor and know if your doctor's good or if your doctor's not so good. You know, a doctor can be very good, but they have to have those communication skills to relate to you and to answer your questions and pay attention to you. And so we talk a lot about that in the evaluation of the doctor uh, part of the book. So you can actually have a scorecard to know for sure how good the doctor is and whether or not you need to say, seek a second opinion. Well, I I find it uh, interesting what you're saying because many of the things that you're talking about, uh, fortunate, fortunately, I do believe takes place, and that is I'm always with her when she when she goes to the position because she doesn't drive any longer and so on and so forth. So, I mean, she doesn't go into that room by herself because uh, uh, of her state of confusion from time to time uh, doesn't have the answer. And uh, she will look to me and say, well, why don't you tell him? And but there are some there are some answers that I can't give. And I feel that I can't give, and the reason I can't give is because if I give the answer and I just spout it out, he's not going to get a true picture of what her status is. Uh, and I I just have this feeling, and correct me please if I if if I'm doing this wrong. Uh, if she is in a state of confusion with regard to something and he asks her a question and she cannot formulate the answer or she cannot come up with the answer, he has to realize, the doctor has to realize and understand that this woman is not functioning well enough to be able to give that response. Is, am I accurate in that? Yes, and I think that there, therein lies your responsibility as the family member or we call sometimes call it by a term uh, as the, the patient advocate, the person who has to speak for the patient. Right. And the patient may have some challenges speaking for themselves. Uh, usually a family member, as yourself with your mom, uh, or a close friend. Uh, and they also have professional advocates that can be hired and, and come with uh, yes. patients. But usually it's a family member, a friend. And so you have to go prepared with a written list of questions, a written list of problems. Mm-hmm. And if you're embarrassed at all about sharing it in front of your mom or other family member, you can actually give it to the nurse when you check in to say, I have a little problem dealing with these things about how to uh, talk about them, but I want the doctor to address each of these issues. Sure. And you can remind the doctor about that uh, as you go through that uh, time with them. See, part of the problem with healthcare reform as it's happening nowadays, uh, whether it's just by private insurance companies or by uh, Obamacare or by Medicaid uh, or by uh, HMOs, the new accountable care organizations, ACOs. It's a, it's a situation where there's much, much less time to, that you have with a physician. Mm-hmm. And if there's less time and they spend a lot of that time updating their electronic medical record that's all about you or uh, providing documentation in their record or filling out insurance forms. As they spend more time doing all of that, there's less and less time to actually spend focusing on patients' problems. So what we have to do is we have to make that time more efficient. And so I give a lot of tips in the book 
surviving American medicine, about how to make more efficient use of the time you have with the physician, bringing in written lists, bringing in your home medical record, copies of the tests and copies of the of the uh, uh, consultations you've had in the past and your doctors and your medicines so that you're up to date in terms of what's happening so that when a, when a doctor looks in his records and says, well, I can't seem to find XYZ, you've got it right at hand. Here it is. Say, well, here it is, doctor. And I can't tell you how many times that helps me because sometimes my staff does not have in my record in the office things about my patient that the patient already has. So the patient has a lot more... The ability to help the doctor practice a better quality of medicine with the patient themselves, or in your case, maybe with your mom, by bringing in the records, bringing in a list of questions you want to have answered today, and bringing in some some important questions. Well, doctor, what's the future of this illness going to be? So in this case, with your mom, with her dementia, what's the future going to be? What can we do to slow it down, to keep it stable at the present time? Uh, are there are there new approaches that can be taken? Are there any clinical trials of things that can help this be better? Uh, so you have to ask questions about where are we going with this? And you also have to ask questions about, well, what are my risks of getting some of these serious diseases? What's my risk of getting dementia? What's my risk of getting heart disease? What's my risk of getting a stroke? What's my risk of getting cancer? What's my risk of getting bone fractures in my spine? Uh, and how, doctor, can we reduce those risks for those things which I'm probably likely to get? How can we prevent heart disease? How can we prevent cancer? Because the doctors today have so many new tools to prevent all of these things. The patient just has to take that moment to efficiently ask the doctor, what can we do? So the doctor in their plan has an outline of exactly what to do next. And in addition, the patient, and in your case, you for in, as help to your mom, can write down exactly what the doctor's saying. You can even take a smartphone and turn it on record and record what the doctor says. You can buy a really inexpensive uh, tape recorder at Radio Shack or any other kind of uh, little electronic outlet uh, shop that can make a little tape recording so you can listen to it again at home and make sure you understand exactly what the doctor's saying. It generates new questions for next time, and it makes certain you're more confident that you're following the recommendations and really minimizing risk and maximizing the amount of long-term control of illness, prevention of illness, that results in better happy times, living longer, uh, having a, a much more feeling of security and confidence about the future. Let me ask, uh, if, ask this, if I may. Um, with regard to asking questions of your physician, uh, I'm, I'm kind of, of, of a mind that it wasn't that many years ago that whatever the physician said uh, was gospel, uh, and nobody ever questioned the physician. Uh, the patients didn't question the physician. Uh, the relatives or advocates didn't question the physician. The nurses did not question the physician. The physician says it's blue, it's blue, and there's no discussion about it. 
has that changed? Has that has that been more of a become more of a collaborative effort because of the fact physicians can spend less and less time with patients due to the fact that uh, they have so many of them and and they have to get them in. It has to be changed because those patients who come in assuming the doctor will take care of everything, it's all the doctors looking after me and there's absolutely no worry that I have about any, uh, he'll miss anything. Uh, but we all know today, you see it on television all the time, you see it in newspapers about missed diagnoses, mm-hmm. malpractice suits in the millions of dollars, all these issues where doctors have missed things. And today we have an opportunity because of all the electronic aids with the Internet, and uh, we have the responsibility because of we of knowing how much the healthcare uh, uh, situation, the healthcare industry has changed. We have the responsibility to be more proactive and more responsible for our own care. And how do we do that? Well, in the book, I give a lot of tips about how you can do that. And every chapter deals with, at the end, uh, healthcare changes and what the implications are for individual patients and how you can really overcome these problems. But one of them is keeping your own medical record. Number two is communicating better with your physician. Number three is making certain your physician is capable of listening to you and make certain you're capable of understanding what that physician says. I can't tell you how many patients come to me and say, Oh, this doctor? Yeah, he told me exactly what was wrong, but you know, he has such an accent, he was speaking so fast, and his hand was on the door as he was rushing out the door to see the next patient. I couldn't understand anything of what he said. Mm-hmm. And then I get a copy of his record, and I can't even read what he said because of the scribbles that are on a piece of paper. And so that's one of the advantages of an electronic health record if, you're, if your doctor has one, and more and more doctors are having them, that enables you to see exactly what the doctor said and enables you to question when you don't understand what they said. It also helps the other doctors taking care of you. It's really a healthcare team. Uh, your doctors and your specialists and, and uh, your nurses and your pharmacists and uh, the uh, supportive care people uh, at laboratories and x-ray facilities and physical therapy, et cetera. This healthcare team then can understand better what the plan is and what the coordination needs to be when you have an electronic health record that everybody can see and understand. So there's lots of tips in the book about how to uh, really use this system much more effectively. But underlying your question about trusting the physician and don't question the physician is a somewhat more worrisome kind of aspect of uh, modern medicine. And that's that there are seeping into medicine conflicts of interest on the part of the physician which are pervasive and which are very, very serious. And patients need to know how to approach this. So let me give you examples of some of these types of conflicts of interest. Number one, uh, the doctor may be working with the insurance company. And, you know, in the past, when you said don't question the physician, you knew that the insurance company would pay for the care, whatever the doctor wanted to do, that's fine, everything's okay. But now that we have care that is more carefully managed, and whether you have a PPO, which has clerks who are uh, then nurses who are uh, reviewing what's been requested by the doctor to see if it's authorized uh, or not, uh, when you have HMOs that have very, very strict uh, 
uh, reviews, utilization review nurses and uh, doctors that say yes or no to any requested type of therapy. You have physicians who say, well, I'm not going to request this particular test because I know the insurance company is not likely to approve it. And if they do approve it, my own physician scorecard at that insurance company is likely to get dinged because I've been ordering to a test that's too expensive or a treatment that's too expensive. And I want to keep my scorecard high so I can get more patients from that insurance company. So there's a there's a tendency for the doctor to want to be taking concerns of the insurance company, concerns of an HMO, concerns of a hospital, uh, concerns of the expense of the healthcare system in general, uh, taking those concerns more to heart than the real concern of what's the best thing to do with this patient. So you have to ask the doctor directly, well, doctor, if this were your mom or this were you or I was your uh, brother or sister, what would you do for me? And are you, are you, is there anything else that can be done that you might be reluctant to ask for an authorization for because you're afraid the insurance won't pay for it? Is there something else that we should be considering? Is there some place you'd want to send me uh, to consider some new type of uh, treatment or some new type of medicine or test uh, that you're not doing because you're afraid of what the insurance company will say? You know, is there is there any conflict that we've, we've got to overcome here? And you can also ask in the physician's office, does the doctor own a hospital? Does the doctor own an imaging facility that does CAT scans or MRIs or PET scans? Does the doctor own the pharmacy? Does the doctor own the laboratory? Because it may well be that the doctor's over-ordering things or ordering things that you might not need just because they own the facility where they would uh, send a physician, uh, send a patient. You know, so you have to ask the uh, office manager, ask the nurses, uh, are these uh, places that the doctor you know, owns alone or with other doctors? Uh, and if you have any questions about what's going on, uh, and sometimes you can get those questions from Internet sources uh, or from support groups with patients with similar diseases, you can always say, well, maybe it's time for a second opinion just to make certain I'm getting all the right therapy, make certain the doctor's following national guidelines for my care to know that everything is okay. You know, as as you're telling us about these various aspects of uh, medical care and so on and so forth, it's amazing how I can think of, because I've had in in my family, not that we're an unhealthy family by any stretch of the imagination, but through my father's illness, which was Alzheimer's dementia, and uh, through his hospitalization and his eventual passing, through the fact that I've been uh, recently an outpatient in a hospital, through the fact that my mother is in, in need of more and more care, uh, it's amazing how many of these things that you've mentioned have fl- lit the light, so to speak, in my mind. And I said, oh, yeah, I remember this. Wow, you know, isn't this amazing? And, I, and I'm, I'm sitting here, I'm thinking, and I've told this story before, when my dad was in the hospital back and forth between the care facility and the hospital, back and forth, back and forth for about several months, uh, how he was very hard of hearing. He had, due to his dementia, he had 
didn't refuse to wear his hearing aids anymore, uh, so it was hard to communicate with him. And so I said I put a note over the top of his bed uh, on the wall by the head bed that says uh, a dementia patient, uh, hard of hearing, speak clearly and loudly into his left ear because uh, that's the best place you could hear him. And they came in and took that down because they said it was against HIPAA violation. It was a HIPAA violation. And I said, I don't care who knows that he's got dementia. He's got dementia. He's not going to live. It's it's going to take him. And he's getting closer by the day. So if you're going to do something, you should ask him for help in his in his good ear, his best ear, I should say. And but no, they couldn't do that. And and they. And then you go to see the nurses, and the nurses stand. You ask them a question, and they're too, they're filling out form after form after form. And every time a new nurse came on, I felt that I had to be there to retrain them into into the with regard to the care of my father. And and it and it gets to be a very very tiring proposition. Uh, and, and sometimes you just and this is a good hospital in this area, considered to be a very good hospital in this area. I I just don't know. Is this is this insurance regulations covering your six because of, for malpractice? Um, trying to get the hospital rated as number one in the care of Alzheimer's dementia. Uh, there's there's a lot of things there that that may be involved. Correct? There are, and your 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 uh, question is really very appropriate, and there are lots of uh, tips about each of these things in my new book, Surviving American Medicine, uh, which is available on Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com, uh, and it's available in hard copy as well as in electronic version. So uh, people can access the book so that they can get these tips about how to deal with these types of issues. One of the issues that I deal with is HIPAA and uh, confidentiality, uh, which is what is ch- sometimes challenging patients in getting good care rather than helping them. A lot of laboratories, a lot of hospitals and doctor's offices say, oh, I can't give this information to anybody because it's a HIPAA violation and you need to fill out some forms for me to be able to do that. So what we need to do is, number one, understand that it's a law. Number two, healthcare providers, including doctors and nurses and uh, nurse practitioners, uh, hospitals, uh, uh, pharmacies, overreact to the HIPAA regulations so that they want to be 100% compliant because the penalties, if they don't comply exactly, are very very strict and very onerous and they're very, they're very expensive. And so everybody tries to go overboard to comply with all the HIPAA regulations. And what that means is very often, like with your dad, when you said, speak loudly into his left ear, uh, hospital personnel may say, oh, we just think that that's not right. When that happens, you can go to the managers, the office managers, the uh, in this case president of the, uh, of the hospital. You can say, listen, this is necessary for his care, uh, medically necessary, and I want to um, uh, challenge this one nurse or this one uh, 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 staff member's decision that this was a HIPAA violation because without it, my the care of my father or my other loved one or me will be compromised. 
And so one has to make certain that you fight these misinterpretations of the HIPAA regulations as much as is necessary to get really good care. And if it takes filling out a few more forms, uh, we ought to just you know, say, I have to do it. It's part of law. It's been passed in the United States. And HIPAA does prevent a lot of information from going to people who shouldn't know about it. And so with this, uh, more caution, more understanding, and more realization that you can you can approach the next higher person up the decision-making ladder to know that you can get the right kind of care for ourselves and for people for whom we are responsible. So these things are important, but more and more we see these regulations impeding some of the care. And there are tips in the book of how you can uh, overcome that and how you can take uh, uh, just logical steps of uh, of making more information available through your home medical record uh, or the medical record of one of your loved ones for whom you're caring uh, available so that uh, information is shared with all the appropriate people. With that in mind, the care can become very efficient, but you may have to uh, still uh, make certain that all the I's are dotted and all the T's are crossed. And as frustrating as it is, and my wife tells me all the time, why do I have to fill out more forms when we go to see this doctor and that doctor? Um, you know, it's part of the process that we have until we have many more electronic medical records and many more electronic aids where we can fill these uh, uh, questionnaires out at home, uh, make certain that when we say no change in insurance, all that goes in automatically to the office until we have a little bit more of these efficiency measures in place. They're gradually coming. Uh, we'll still have to have a lot of form uh, forms to fill out, and we'll just have, you know, have to bite the bullet in that regard. Uh, let's, that that brings up, I, I think, another topic with regard to the centralization of medical records. Um, I know for well, I don't. I should say I know, I'm saying I know this for a fact. But here's what I do know of something that has happened. I know of somebody that has had a situation where the doctor was going to put something in the record, and it was going to be symptoms like. In other words, uh, they had asthmatic-like symptoms. And the person said, I don't want that word asthma in my record. I don't have asthma. I happen to have uh, a lung infection right now. And if you start putting asthmatic-like symptoms and the fact that you may be prescribing an inhaler for me, all of a sudden I'm going to have problems with my insurance. I'm going to have problems and get rated as an asthmatic, and that's not the case. Um, how much of that goes on? An enormous amount of that goes on. Uh, I've had family members who have said, oh, I don't want to put this in the record because uh, I'm afraid it will become a pre-existing condition. Mm -hmm. I will be at a higher tier of insurance premiums or may not be able to get insurance at all. Uh, patients say this to me all the time. So on the one hand, we say, I want my doctor to be as comprehensive with me as possible. And on the other hand, we say, but I don't want the insurance company to all of a sudden give me a problem in getting the appropriate care that I need. Part of that is approached with the Affordable Care Act. This is Obamacare. And one of the key uh, components of that is the elimination in January 2014 
of pre-existing conditions and the elimination of caps on how much can be paid over the lifetime of the insurance to take care of an individual and a prohibition of insurance companies from what we call rescission, which means they can cancel your policy because your care is getting too expensive for them or they can cancel your policy uh, because they uh, believe you didn't say something in the in the uh, uh, information uh, that was asked at the beginning that uh, indicates that you were trying to hide something from them. Mm-hmm. Because of these changes that will take place in 2014, they'll be less worried that this will take place, that you're going to have a, a bad word in your record. But even today, there are tips that we have in the book, Surviving American Medicine, which indicate what you need to do with your own home medical record. And one of those things, one of those tips is get a copy of your doctor's note. Make certain you can understand everything that's in your doctor's note, especially with regard to how they have described your symptoms and the diagnoses that you have. And if you take issue with any of those, you know, that that are mis that are not described appropriately or misinterpreted by the physician uh, or a diagnosis is put in which you do not think really reflects what you have, uh, you can raise that issue and have the doctor correct that, uh, and they have to do that uh, for you. And in that circumstance, you can make certain that your medical record doesn't include things that are misinterpretations by the physician. Uh, furthermore, you can understand exactly what the physician thinks you have and understand what the physician is going to do about it. At the end of the day, the very most important thing for you is to make certain that your doctor has taken really good care of you, that you've got excellent quality care, uh, that it is accurately described in your record, that you understand it, and all the people on your hair, on your medical team understand it. That means the doctor as well as the doctor's nurses and the doctor's nurse practitioner and the doctor's uh, staff. So everybody understands what is being done and that you understand it and it makes sense and it's in compliance with what's recommended nationally. Well, how do you find out if it's in compliance with what is recommended? Well, number one in uh, my tips on communication and my tips on uh, on the uh, uh, chapter that deals with uh, national guidelines for care, you can actually ask the doctor, well, you know, which guidelines are you following? Are you following the guidelines of the primary care physicians? Are you following the guidelines of the Diabetes Association or of the uh, Cancer Associations? Which guidelines are you following for caring for me so that I know that I'm getting really good care? Uh, You can also find that information out through uh, these voluntary uh, health care and disease-oriented associations like the American Cancer Society, American Heart Association, American Lung uh, Association, uh, American Diabetes Association. All these have uh, access to guidelines so you know what is the standard of care for taking care of you, so you know if the doctor's following the guidelines. Uh, in some electronic health records, there's actually a little checkoff. Uh, these recommendations are according to guidelines so that you can know that the doctor has actually paid attention to that. 
So you, so at the end of the day, you want to make certain that you're getting the appropriate care for conditions that are accurately describing your record. And starting in 2014, there'll be much less worry about whether or not there's any pre-existing condition that's going to adversely affect whether or not you're able to get care. Certainly staying abreast of all these changes is important, and I think that's one of the purposes of the book is to teach you how you can stay abreast of these, teach you the Internet sources that will give you the additional information because guidelines will gradually change with time and healthcare reform will have more and more things that happen. Uh, and I have a blog, survivingamericanmedicine.com, which deals with a lot of these changes that are taking place so that people can see on an updated fashion as time goes on what things, in addition to the book, Surviving American Medicine, are going to be helpful to individuals in making decisions day to day. This would probably be a pretty good place for me to ask you the, the the question of what do you think about the Affordable Care Act and what it will, uh, as you understand it, eventually provide for uh, Americans. Well, uh, I've had a couple patients uh, this past week come into me and say, "Oh, I can't believe." I was paying $20 a month for my health insurance through my employer, and it's going up to $250 a month through my employer. Another person came in and said the employer is dropping uh, coverage for medications uh, from their uh, from their health plan uh, to keep the prices low for the employer. Uh, I've had people say my doctor is no longer taking my uh, insurance plan. And so these are the problems that come to me on a day-to-day basis, and they're they're probably affecting a lot of the listeners to this program today, or the family members of these of these uh, listeners. So, in some ways, the Affordable Care Act has had the unintended consequence of having insurance companies raise the prices today, so that when the the health plans come under very close regulation in 2013 and 2014, they're base rates are high enough to be able to afford to make a good profit on the health plans that they have to give at that time. So the price of medicine has gone up as a result of the Affordable Care Act. Now, at the same time, there are things in the Affordable Care Act that have been absolutely fantastic. Uh, Number one, uh, there is guaranteed coverage so that many of my patients today who have uh, diseases of the blood, like anemia, or they may have uh, blood clotting disorders, either easy bruising, bleeding, or too much clotting. Patients of mine who have had cancer and now are apparently cured. All these patients, at the present time, if they had to get new insurance, will be uninsurable because they have a pre-existing condition. Mm-hmm. But in a year and a half, or in a year right now, uh, those patients will all be mandated that they have to be able to get insurance and it can't be priced any more than about 50% higher than patients without any conditions whatsoever. So this elimination of pre-existing conditions has been terrific. The elimination of caps on the amount of money that's going to be paid for any particular patient uh, is terrific. A person gets uh, suddenly some type of cirrhosis and they need a liver transplant, they rapidly go right through the spending cap on their plan and all of a sudden there is no more insurance. Uh, So that all of this is terrific. Having another uh, 
30 million Americans able to get insurance who were not able to get it before is terrific because these people were always challenged by where can I get affordable uh, insurance and having affordable medications because a lot of the uh, coverages will have to include medications and a lot of the donut holes will be eliminated uh, gradually as part of the Affordable Care Act. All of these things are terrific. Kids can stay on their parents' policies till age 26. So all these kinds of things, access to clinical trials uh, is mandated uh, by the Affordable Care Act. All these things are good things. The bad things are having a lot of decisions uh, about what is going to be paid for and what is uh, not going to be paid for being made by non-physicians, being made by healthcare economists uh, who have the lowering of healthcare expenditures as their major commitment, not making certain that patients get better care as their major commitment. It's a conflict of interest that what we want as patients, uh, and I'm a patient myself, and my family members are all patients, what we want as patients is we want the doctor to be making a decision and we want the insurance uh, companies to be making decisions that are in our best interest that cover everything that we need. We don't want, at the end of the day, for the healthcare system to say, uh, well, you can't have something that you personally need because the whole system as a whole uh, needs to have the, uh, the care costs reduced. So what I'm often asked at the end of the day is, but doctor, you know how expensive medicine is becoming. How are you going to limit the costs of medicine if you say that patients have to be able to get what they need? And I think there are two answers to this, and they're both covered in part in the book, Surviving American Medicine. Number one is national guidelines for care. They've been established by doctor groups. They're all agreed upon by all of the specialists or primary care physicians. These are the standards of care for diabetes, for emphysema, for cancer of the breast, for cancer of the prostate, uh, for uh, diabetes, for uh, orthopedic problems, for dementia. These are the standards of care. What we find in the United States is that the compliance with standards of care is 30 to 50%. And so we're giving a lot of unnecessary medicine or inadequate medicine at the present time. So I think that if we're going to get a better system, we'll have more doctors following more national guidelines and more patients understanding those guidelines and knowing when they're not getting what they should be getting or when they're getting too much. Number two, we know that there's a lot of fraud, uh, self-referrals, uh, inaccurate billing, and things like that. And uh, there's a commitment to really... Uh, working this out so that it, it goes down. So if we deal with guidelines and if we deal with uh, fraud uh, and if we deal with appropriate changes in uh, the amount of, uh, of pricing of various different kinds of procedures so you can actually compare prices and know is the cost for this MRI going to be cheaper down the street than it is at the hospital, uh, we can become better consumers and reduce the cost of care very effectively. But we shouldn't be decreasing that cost of care by eliminating therapy that so many of us need to control or cure the illnesses that we have. So the Affordable Care Act is great in many ways. The Affordable Care Act is challenging in other ways. 
And what I've said ever since the day it first passed is we've got to tweak it like we do with every law to make it better and better. And part of our responsibility as patients are to talk to our legislators and say, this is a problem I'm having with the way this law is affecting me, or I'm really happy this law is in effect because, look, it's really helped me a lot. So creating that political pressure is very important. And for all of us uh, who are in this age group where we are dependent upon having uh, some degree of regulation of the insurance company to get really good insurance or even provided insurance by the federal government through Medicare and Medicaid, uh, through the uh, uh, Veterans Administration. Uh, we need to stay in close touch with those people who make decisions. Uh, it's a good time for being politically active. And having a friend in your legislator's office, both on the state level and on the national level, who can help you to get the things that you really need. Well, it's interesting. Uh, I, I do agree with what you said with regarding having a friend. Uh, in the in the legislature or in uh, people in high places, so to speak. Uh, but uh, I I'm enough of a cynic, and I uh, I just have this feeling that I don't care if you're a Republican or a Democrat; it doesn't make much difference to me. Uh, it's all run by the lobbyists and the almighty dollar. And uh, anybody that says that they don't have some kind of a special interest involved here. Chances are pretty good they're being less than truthful, uh, and and I don't think it takes very much um, uh, very much investigation to be able to follow that money trail and figure it out. And I and rather than uh, rather than having all these radical notions left and right, let's just you know the, this thing about oh can't we all be friends and get together and, and do what's best for the the individuals and the and the and the and the citizenry and so on and so forth. I don't think there's a lot of that going on, and I think as long as this continues the way it is and the animosity uh, continues the way it is, I think we're all, the, the plain folk out here trying to get by are going to end up suffering in this deal. I just can't help but feel it otherwise. What is your thought on well, that? Well, I'm speaking as a plain folk, and uh, I feel a lot of the same kinds of attitudes myself, and my patients feel those attitudes, and... That's one of the reasons that I wrote this book, because as healthcare is changing, there's this feeling that we don't have any power, any ability to to do anything. To some extent, that's true. Uh, one voice in your uh, in your congressman's office doesn't really change a lot. No, doesn't mean. But the book, but the book deals with once you have this system in place, and we certainly have it in place now. Once the system's in place, how does it affect you personally with regard to your health care? What are the tips that you need to try to get the very best health care in the context of health care reform? And with every single kind of issue in the book, whether it's finding the right doctor, finding the right treatments, deciding whether or not you need a second opinion, choosing the right hospital, getting the best care in that hospital, finding... Uh, out whether or not your doctor has a good trustworthy rating or whether you as a patient have a good trustworthy rating, caring for other people like you and your mom or your dad uh, or caring for your kids, uh, all these kinds of issues in the book at the end of each chapter that covers these things, there's an issue that deals with modern medicine, healthcare reform, and how you have to have a different attitude as time goes on with regard to getting the most effective care. 
and there are tips, specific tips in each chapter, which tell you what you can do to make this healthcare system that we're all fearful about in so many ways work well for you and how you can deal with keeping your doctors on track and focused on your best care. Mm-hmm. It's really the kind, the kind of question that you had is the question that I get a lot of at social events, family dinners. You know, well, is what's going on with medicine nowadays? Isn't it terrible? And the answer is, heck no. I mean, there are so many new medications coming out now that are controlling diseases and so many you know, approaches that we can take to improve outcomes of illnesses that challenge us and our family members and our friends that this is a great time in medicine, making certain that we continue, each of us, to have active health insurance, the best that we can afford, even if we can't afford much, but have insurance so that you can get access to care when you need it. Heaven knows when you're going to get hit by a car or have a heart attack or a stroke or uh, develop some kind of disease. You've got to have health insurance so that you can access the care system and get the discounts that insurance provides for costs of care. Remember, retail prices are what you get if you have no insurance. That's right. You get a 50 to 75% discount if you've got health insurance because that's been negotiated for you ahead of time. So having insurance, never letting it lapse, gives you access to all these incredible advances. You know, we're often asked, well, but our healthcare system isn't better in Canada, isn't it better in England? Look at France, look at Cuba, for heaven's sake, and all this type of thing. And the answer is, we have the very best healthcare system in the world. We have more drugs available and more treatments available and more sophisticated physicians who can deliver them effectively to people if you have insurance. Uh, and what you find in other countries is if they don't have supplemental insurance policies, Canadians often get a supplemental insurance. People in England get a supplemental insurance through their employer or privately so that they can access the care system effectively at any time. Because if they have to wait in the long line, the long queue, to be able to get the the care that the system provides for you, uh, their diseases just get worse and worse and worse in that time frame. I have a relative who uh, has uh, the uh, state healthcare uh, system uh, in New Zealand, very much like England and Canada and other European countries, uh, needed a specific operation for a cancer, uh, was delayed four and a half months in getting that operation because the line was a little bit long and she couldn't get in rapidly enough, during which time the cancer spread to other organs. And the frustration uh, that all of us feel with that, the anger that we feel uh, boils up and it's, it's just terrible. Fortunately, in the United States, we have systems that with our current multiple different kinds of insurance programs offer each of us the way that we can get care uh, rapidly and effectively. Uh, this is a, truly a better system and we should have confidence in it, but we should know that you have to figure out how to use it well. That's why I wrote the book, to make certain that people know how to use the system effectively. Surviving American Medicine gives tips. Uh, There are over 100 tips to get better medical care. There are about 100 Internet websites where you can get information about different kinds of 
different kinds of uh, resource information that you can discuss with your doctor. People always ask me, well, is your doctor pro-insurance? Is it uh, pro-doctor? Is it pro-patient? And the answer is, it's just like getting any kind of a uh, sports team. You have to have all those elements together for the team to work well. The center of a healthcare team is the patient who has to make the right decisions, get the right insurance. But you've got a health insurance agent who can help you to get the right insurance. You've got pharmacists who can help you to make the right decisions about medicine. You should get a good doctor and good specialists uh, as part of that team, good nurses, a good hospital. The book teaches you how to shop effectively for each of those components of your healthcare team. When it works well together, you win the World Series and you live longer and you live happy. When it's not working together well and you have dysfunctional elements, you don't have the right insurance or you don't have the right doctor or you don't have the right specialist or you, or you get to the wrong hospital. Uh, when something's dysfunctional in that, you don't win the World Series. And it's one thing when you're a sports team, you can come back next year. But you know, we're talking about our lives here. We can't come back yeah. next year. We have to get it today. You don't get many do-overs. Uh, it was, it's, interest, it's interesting uh, when you're talking about uh, insurance, pre-existing conditions, and so on. I personally had a situation where I I, uh, I was without insurance uh, during some very critical needs uh, because of pre-existing conditions. I, I, I could not afford to have I, – I could get insurance, but it was going to be at an exorbitantly – just a tremendous rate, and – whatever the pre-existing condition was, uh, was going to be uh, eliminated as uh, they're not going to treat me for that. Uh, and I'm sure that they, when it came right down to it, were going to be finding the fact that I had a hangnail uh, was a result of my pre-existing condition, so they wouldn't take the hangnail out too. I mean, I, that's just the way I felt about it. Uh, but then along came the pre-existing uh, condition insurance from the federal government, uh, which was not inexpensive. I mean, it was, I think, $500 a month. But let me tell you, $500 a month for an 80-20 policy was a lot better than I would have paid anywhere else, and I used it. And uh, I had occasion to use it, and it was a good thing it was there. And then, of course, I turned 65, and, and now I've got my Medicare with a supplemental and uh, insurance-wise as far as health is concerned. seems to be all well with the world. But for me, anyhow, uh but I've I've lived that life. I mean, I, I've lived that life about you're afraid to go to the doctor. You go to the emergency room, but you're you're going to get charged a million dollars. <laughs> it's just on and on and on, and it's a never-ending circle. And I and I stop and think now about how many times I probably didn't get myself some medical care because I just couldn't afford it without insurance. And that uh, that and that alone is reason why I. I was glad to see the uh, uh, the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, however you want to call it, uh, passed. Because I, I I think all in all, it does need to be tweaked. I think you're absolutely right. Uh, and there are things about it that that need to be changed. But on, on on the on the grand scheme of things, I think it's a good thing. Pete, your experience is what's felt all across America. It's felt in my practice. It's felt in my family personally. It's so common. I have a whole section of the book, Surviving American Medicine, which deals with insuring and financing your health care. And we give 
links to where you can get good health insurance agents. We talk about uh, how you deal with understanding your insurance bill and EOBs and things like that so you know what you have to appeal and what you have to pay for. Uh, and we deal with problems regarding authorizations and, uh, and the problems with affordable medications and things like that. So this section is really at the heart of what you have just asked about. And I just hope that this book is, is used by people to help them and their children and their uh, other family members for whom they're caring, their elderly parents and uh, aunts and uncles, so that they can get really good care, save money in the process, and not be challenged by healthcare, but really see it as uh, something that they're confident in and gives them the opportunity to have a wonderful future. As we come into the new year, this is the prayer I have for everybody. Uh, make certain that you have confidence as you go forward uh, with regard to healthcare. We certainly live in the best place where you can get good healthcare. Just have to know how to use it. Your healthcare should be an asset, not a liability. Exactly. And, and you know, you should like your doctor and you should be able to talk well with them. I have so much fun talking with my patients uh, about where they've been and what have they been doing and about their uh, family uh, events and things like that. Uh, the joy of medicine is enabling patients to have all this fun, satisfaction in life. But the fun of medicine should not be filling out forms. It's part of what we have to do, but at the end of the day, we need to get the very best care. And I hope the book really helps people to achieve that. Uh, Surviving American Medicine has been a real passion uh, that I've felt for the last few years as I've written this book, and I just hope that people uh, can get some benefit out of it. Well, I I want to close uh, with a a testimonial without – I probably should – be able to give his name, but I, I won't. I, I have a I have a specialist that's working on my kidney issues, and I've been seeing him now for four years. And I I can honestly say that when I am going to my kidney specialist uh, on a regular basis, whether I need to go back for a monthly checkup or a quarterly checkup, whatever it might be, I look forward to that visit. Um, he is a he is a, he is a man that is a, a unbelievably gifted and talented at what he does and very, very, very bright, very smart man. He has gone to bat for me with insurance companies because he's prescribed something that was its use was not for my condition necessarily, but he has had good luck with it with other patients, and he wanted me to take that particular medication. And and I have nothing but the utmost respect for him, and I enjoy going there. Uh, and he is completely completely different from me. He is a, of, of a different nationality, different belief structure, the whole thing. He's one of the neatest people I've ever met. And he has kept me functioning for almost five years on a pretty normal basis without need of, of, of major treatments, uh, i.e. dialysis. So uh, you run into these people every now and then in medicine, so I think you're absolutely right. We do have the best we do have the best medicine available, uh, and and it just is it'd be great if we could all access it equally and be able and, to. And Pete, my my book, Surviving American Medicine, tells you it gives you the tips and the guidance as to how you can find those doctors just like your doctor uh, and get the very very best care. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Fran Drescher, who wrote the uh, foreword of the book, 
uh, went through eight second opinions to be able to get the right diagnosis. Now she's with that doctor and cured and doing well. Uh, so the you know the comments and the experience of the nanny, uh, whom we've all seen on television, uh, comes home here in terms of her personal experiences. And those stories about my patients, uh, such as uh, uh, I have in the book and friends, uh, such as the nanny, uh, you know these things can take people home to a better quality care. Absolutely. Uh, one last thing before we go. I'd be remiss. Where do people get hold of your book? Uh, can, this book can be purchased at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, uh, iUniverse.com, Google Books. Uh, it's available uh, through those uh, resources and at some booksellers uh, in the country, although it's more available on uh, uh, Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and iUniverse. Is I it, encourage is, people to look at it. Is it also available as an ebook? It's available as an ebook for Kindle and Nook, uh, and you can get that through BarnesNoble.com and through uh, Amazon.com. Uh, and it's very effective that way. Very good, Doctor. Thank you very much for a very interesting and fast-paced hour. Uh, all good information, and I'm very glad that uh, you were a guest of mine on the show. Thanks again for Happy being holidays here. to you, Pete, and to uh, you. all the listeners. Uh, have a good year. And happy holidays to you as well. Take care now. Bye-bye now. That has been a visit with Dr. Kerry, Gary Kerry Prezant. Uh, Kerry Prezant is the author of the book, Surviving American Medicine, How to Get the Right Doctor, Right Hospital, and Right Treatment with Today's Healthcare. Uh, interesting conversations and comments. Um, and uh, if uh, you're listening to this live or if you listen to it on the archive, for that matter, uh, pass it along. He's got a lot of good information and uh, a very, very well-spoken and opinionated man. He really has some feelings about the healthcare system as it's going to be and as it is today, and everybody needs to know uh, because he sheds a lot of light on a lot of different things. Thank you very much for listening. Enjoy uh, the rest of your day. Come back, be with us tomorrow with another great guest. Uh, hope to talk to you at that time. Thank you for listening. Take care. Have a great day, everybody. Bye now. You've been listening to the Movement Debate Show, where we bring interesting conversations to the world. Be sure to follow us on Twitter where we tweet as Boomer and Babe and on Facebook as Pete Peters 47. As always, you can friend us on Blog Talk Radio or sign up for our newsletter at boomerandthebabe.com. Email us at host at boomerandthebabe.com with any of your comments. Remember, at 50, you're just getting started. 